What's going on, everybody? We're back to the Real Bodybuilding Podcast, and I'm here with my doctor. So of all people, I decided to get my doctor, Mr. Dr. Khan, or not, it's not Mr. Dr. Khan, is it? It's just Dr. Khan. How are, how are you? How are you, doctor? I'm good. Thanks for uh, having me on. I, uh, I wanted to get you on because there is a lot of uh, misinformation, and there's a lot of people wondering what they should ask their doctor and what to do when they talk to their doctor. And what their doctors should be knowledgeable about what they shouldn't be. So, and there's some regenerative stuff I want to talk to you about too, because that's your specialty. Uh, so I thought I'd get, get you on and we'd have a conversation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think I'm very lucky in that I've been trained by some of the world's best doctors. So I'm able to share that information with other people. Okay. Um, all right. So let's get in. I originally started seeing you for PRP. That was like, actually the very first time I walked into your office was for stem cells. Yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember. Let's get into stem cells first. I think this is a really interesting one because people are always talking about it. So, the, when I first came to your office, I said to you, I saw Mel Gibson on Joe Rogan's podcast, and he said that I can get stem cells and make my whole body feel better. Yes. And you said to and, me, "That's total bullshit." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't want to see you wasting twenty five thousand dollars. Yeah. And uh, you're not the first one. I've had dozens of patients walk through. At least I would say at least once a week asking about Panama and IV stem cells. Yeah. And yeah, there, there isn't really much evidence on IV stem cells. There is evidence on more specific ailments where you can treat and target stem cells. So for example, like we've talked about before is if you have like a tear in the muscle and if mm -hmm. it's a big tear, you can harvest your own fat and use it as a scaffold and yeah. it can send signals to the tissue that's torn and yeah. then start the regenerative process. But in that instance, you actually have a specific target and you know what you're, why you're using it and what's, what the uh, purpose is. Whereas in IV stem cells, you're just kind of putting it throughout your body and you're hoping it's gonna do something. Yeah, because the theory, the theory that I've, been, I've heard is that if you do intravenous stem cells, the stem cells just kind of go where you need them. Your body just takes them wherever yeah. they need to go and they just go there magically. And that yeah, doesn't, exactly. It doesn't seem to make any sense, does it? No, it doesn't. And actually, you know, we should talk about what stem cells even are and what the word even means, because stem cells originally was coined by this doctor, Dr. Arnold Kaplan in 1992. Mm -hmm. He's from Case Western University, and he coined the term mesenchymal stem cells, MSCs for short. Okay. And the reason he coined that term is because he basically found in his studies that you can have these cells that can differentiate into different tissue so they can differentiate into muscle into bone into tendon and so that's why it's called stem cells because they're basically undifferentiated cells meaning yeah. they can differ differentiate into different cells sure but he came out with a paper about two years ago saying that we need to rename stem cells to medicinal signaling cells so still msc's for short but instead of calling them stem cells calling them signaling cells and the yeah. reason he said the reason he wants to clarify and why it's important is because it's not the stem cells themselves that are actually special. It's the signals that they send to your own body's stem cells to start the regenerative process. So it's actually about cell signaling and yeah. your own, your body has stem cells, like your tendon has stem cells, your cartilage, your ligaments, they all have stem cells inside of them. Mm -hmm. But the question is, how do we get those stem cells to turn on and start the regenerative process? Okay. A lot of times people do heal on their own, but sometimes they don't, right? And yeah. the, the question is why they don't. We don't fully understand that, but um, at least we can start getting targeted therapies on starting that signaling yeah. uh, cascade. Okay, so let's <clears throat> let's go back. So, um, 
so you said earlier, you said scaffolding and we said that intravenous uh, stem cells doesn't really make sense because it's not just magically going to go wherever you need it. Now, when you said scaffolding, that basically means that you're, well, I'll let you explain it. What exactly does scaffolding mean? Um, so a scaffold, like any biomaterial that basically acts like a, you can think of it almost like a glue to hold in the regenerative cells. Mm -hmm. So there's different scaffolds. Fat is just one uh, scaffold, but there's hydrogels or polymers that are being used and derived synthetically as well. Um, you've probably heard of, a lot of people have probably heard of collagen yeah. and like hyaluronic acid, and that's starting to be used as a potential scaffold as well. Okay. Um, but the most cutting edge stuff and the most promising is um, using 3D bioprinters where they use a collagen based scaffold and they actually use, so they actually print the scaffold using yep. a 3D bioprinter and then they seed it with, um, they seed it with like PRP and stem cells mm. that basically cause the regenerative cascade. But so, you need a scaffold to actually hold that all in place. So that's what the scaffold does is like, say if I have a tear in my patellar tendon, you guys can do a scaffold, which is going to keep the stem cells or PRP cells in that one area on that tear. And yes. so it does the work in that spot where I need it. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And, and it's, it's for those tears that are full tear. So, cause for example, if you just inject like the plasma where you take your own blood and you spin it and you inject it back in, um, that plasma is just going to go straight through, right? It, you need yeah. something to hold it in. If yeah. it's a full, if it's a full tear. Yeah, a full and unfortunately, tear. yeah. And unfortunately a lot of people, I've had lots of patients who've gone to doctors and they were like, oh yeah, PRP will work for you. No problem. We'll fix you up. And it did nothing. And the reason it did nothing is because the doctor was just like, you know, it wasn't the right treatment because they had a full tear. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, okay. So the scaffolding works uh, with, why don't we do stem cells in Canada? Why can't I, when I get tears, so I've kind of, I come to see you for PRP, which we'll get into later what PRP means, but why can't I just come to your office and get stem cells done then if it's kind of, we got it all figured out. Well, Health Canada is really strict about, um, they, it was allowed actually until just uh, a year and a half ago. And then they, they kind of banned them in the sense that they're not allowing them to use them orthopedic medicine and for a general like ailments, they're only allowed to use in very specific um, like uh, cancers where are done in the hospital with like, mm -hmm. like stem cell transplants and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise they're not allowing them to be used in like the community and they're saying because there's not enough regulation, okay. Um, which you know to a certain extent is true because in the U.S. there's not enough regulation, and uh, it's, it's almost like the wild wild west, right? There's so yeah. many clinics offering stem cell drugs, stem cell clinics, stem cell clinic. You know, yeah. fix you know fix your Alzheimer's, cure your multiple sclerosis, this and that, Parkinson's, like, and a lot of that just doesn't have evidence. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's it's exploitative of patients and. Even um, I've seen professional athletes, like I've, I've treated some of like the top guys in NFL and stuff like that. And um, they've had, they've been sold about amniotic stem cells or umbilical yeah. cord stem cells, which are, yeah. um, you know, again, don't have much evidence behind them. And those ones can also be um, dangerous because you're, you're taking foreign genes that you don't know what risk they may have. And there's, yeah. there's actually been studies in Israel where they found that when you have, when you use amniotic or umbilical cord stem cells, if that gene, if that person's um, you know, genetic code is pre-programmed to have increased risk of autoimmune diseases, then that person can, is that, uh, can develop autoimmune diseases when they're older too. Okay. Like, so, like the person who implanted them. Yeah. So if stem cells are done properly though, you're saying they can be used to heal anything. Like we're talking muscle tears. We're talking uh, other ailments like. Yeah. Well, that's why regenerative medicine is such a powerful field. And I think it, it's a growing field because 
using your own body to heal is becoming a popular, not only by patients, but by doctors too, because they're seeing it's minimally invasive, mm -hmm. very little risk and downside, especially if you're using autologous stem cells, right? Autologous means using your own bodies. Okay. So not, not using amniotic or umbilical cord. Yeah. Yeah. So because there's almost no, there's, there's literally no risk, right? It's, it's yeah. not worst case scenario. It doesn't work. Um, yeah. But if you're, again, if you're doing it properly and you have, like the scaffold for tears and stuff like that, then it, it, it does work actually very well. Um, but yeah, it, even in chronic kidney disease where they you know, you have fibrosis and damage to the kidneys, they're using it in um, age-related macular degeneration, neurodegenerative conditions. There's, I know there's a trial being done in uh, Korea for Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of interesting research that's being done on uh, regenerative medicine and the, uh, stem cells, but not, not IV stem cells, right? Yeah, these yeah, stem cells, these yeah. are all very specific uses yeah. in specific areas. Like, and they're, all, and, and they're, they're kind of what we talked about. Like, so the principles are like they're, they are autologous. And, um, you know, and, and if they're for tears, they're going to be a scaffold that's what's going to be using. So you mentioned kidney, um, it can be used for kidney function or chronic kidney disease. And everybody on my channel already knows, like I'm battling with kidney issues and obviously, you know, cause you're my doctor. So when would, when would something, is there any, can you see that down the road anywhere? Like, am I going to be oh, 100%. come to you yeah, and get because, that done soon? Yeah. Well, that we're trying to push the boundary. Like, you know, I, so to give people a background, I work with Dr. Anthony Gallia. He's the one who trained me. And he, he was a pioneer of PRP. He was the first one in the world to do it. He did it for Tiger Woods. And he was the first one to do stem cells in Canada as well in terms of like, you know, the backraft and all that. So um, so in terms of like pushing boundaries and stuff, that's what we're trying to do. And we want to set up like a regenerative medicine center so that we can do more of these type of things. So it's difficult with Health Canada. But in the U.S., I know there's, there's a trial being done right now for chronic kidney disease and use of, um, you know, stem cells for uh, reversing yeah. Uh, and restoring function to it. Because if you think about it, a lot of these chronic conditions is just, it's scar tissue, it's, it's yeah. damage. And it's um, essentially, it's, it's, it's irreversible by conventional medical standards because they can only offer you drugs or surgery, yeah. right? Yeah. They yeah. can just say, let's give you, take this pill. Hopefully it doesn't get worse. Or if it gets really bad, you have to cut it out or get a kidney transplant. And that's yeah. it, yeah. right? Yeah. That's, that's all conventional medicine has to offer. Yeah. And so- uh, so now we finally have this new field of regenerative medicine. It's like, oh, wait a minute, maybe we can actually heal this using your own body cells. And mm -hmm. like, if, like the idea, just the idea of that is like amazing. And so I think there's, that's why there's been so much research poured into this. And mm -hmm. I think in the next five, 10 years, you're going to see it explode in terms of what can be offered. So this might be a silly question, but I know there's people listening that are probably like, this sounds like bullshit. So I just want to know how, how certain are you that this is something that's going to be like, is this something that we're all going to see soon? Or is it like still just a kind of a wish? No, no, it's going to be very, it's already happening, right? There's already people yeah. doing it all over the world. It's just Canada's behind, but in Europe and Asia, they already have so many, they have way more innovative um, regenerative medicine techniques than we do. Okay. And that's because they have less regulation as well. So they can do more, yeah. but it's not like, it's not like these things aren't being studied. They are. It's just that okay. in Canada, they're just, you know, I, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but there is a lot of uh, pushback here because model, right? Our model yeah. is very uh, pharmaceutical focused. Yeah, yeah. And so there's no, there's, there's no one really to profit from regenerative medicine. And so there's always going to be a pushback from like the big medical communities when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. So you've dealt with, uh, I was one of the first bodybuilders to come see you. And after me, you'd started dealing with uh, Dorian Hamilton and then Antoine Vaillant and then Reagan. And you've mm -hmm. kind of, you've kind of become the bodybuilders doctor now. 
So yeah, yeah, it's, it's before, before we get into how much you've helped all of us, I wanted to ask you just a base question for the, one of the biggest questions I get from people is how do I find a doctor that will help me? Because a lot of the listeners I have are enhanced and they use steroids and other things and, but they're still health conscious. So they want to try and figure out how they can mitigate some of the risks, see a doctor, have a doctor help them. But a lot of times doctors won't help. So is there something they can say to a doctor or somebody they could see that you know will help them? I mean, is it always going to be a sports doctor or is there a way, well, to, ask, is there a way yeah. to ask that people will help? Yeah, I think, I think having a sports doctor is probably better because they can understand that you're an athlete and it's part of your career or part of your job almost for professionals. Yeah. Even if you're not a professional and you do it recreationally, at least a sports doctor will understand better than a regular doctor. So sure. I would definitely recommend that as a first go. And um, the other thing, the way I would phrase it is, and the way I think about it is like, if you had a patient who was a smoker, would you stop taking care of them just because they smoke yeah. or because yeah. they don't eat well or they don't eat well? Like yeah. just because, you know, and that's the reality of most family medicine, most regular doctors, they manage patients with chronic diseases who don't take care of their bodies, essentially, yeah. right? That's like 80%, that's 80% of family medicine is like diabetes, high blood pressure, obesity, all that stuff, which are all, all, all lifestyle diseases. And we yeah. know there's research on that, that those are preventable with lifestyle changes. Mm -hmm. So just because those patients aren't doing the work, you don't abandon their care. Yeah, you, you, yeah. you try to help them, right? You try to take, you give them medications, you counsel them, you, you know, you do tests. So why wouldn't you do that with a bodybuilder? And that, that's what I try to empower my patients with. Like, obviously when they see me, like, I'm not like that. So it's not an issue, but like when they have, if they, most of them have their own family doctor mm -hmm. and I try to tell them, I'm like, yeah, talk to your, like, just, you know, talk to them this way, like approach them. Like, it doesn't make sense. It's, it's not, I don't know why it became so stigmatized in the medical community, but I've had dozens of patients who've, they're like, my doctor won't even do the blood test. Like he just refused. Yeah. And to me, yeah. that's, that's, that's actually like, I'm not going to report that doctor, but like, to me, that's malpractice because you're, yeah. you're actually neglecting your patient's health yeah. and you're not taking care of them when you should be. And I actually had one patient like who the doctor just refused to do things for you. And eventually he, found, he actually found about me through you. <laughs> and then, oh. um, luckily we picked, we, you know, we picked up some serious stuff about his heart and liver and we we're able to help him. And now he's back on track. Right. But like, had he not come to me, like who knows, right. He would have maybe yeah. have had a heart attack or something. Right. So, yeah. So one of the things you do for me and all the other bodybuilders that come in, I'm assuming, I'm, I'm only assuming, but you monitor my blood work and you monitor my levels and make sure I'm healthy and make sure, you know, I'm not getting carried away or when I need to take a break or not take a break or whatever. But one of the other things you do is PRP because I come in to your office with a tear every two months. So <laughs> I'm pretty much torn like every muscle in my body by now. Yeah, I get you a frequent flyer program. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you've also helped uh, Antoine with his tears. I know you've done some PRP with him and uh, Regan with his tears and I'm sure a host of other bodybuilders. So let's get into PRP because people constantly ask me about it and if it's a gimmick or if it works and I always tell them it works because I've done it. Um, yeah. Let's explain to people what exactly PRP is and what it stands for. Yeah, so, so PRP stands for platelet-rich plasma. So we can break that down. So plasma meaning we're taking your own blood and we're centrifuging out the plasma, which contains platelets. And mm -hmm. platelets are regenerative molecules that release growth factors and also release anti-inflammatory messengers. Mm -hmm. And so basically what we're doing is we're just using a centrifuge to concentrate the platelets to a certain concentration that we know based off science that has that has optimal in terms of healing or in terms of anti-inflammatory effect. The reason why PRP gets a bad reputation in certain medical communities and certain and even patients who said it hasn't worked for them is because not all PRP is the same. 
Okay. Um, so that's very important. And that's where I think, you know, having an expert in this area, it makes a difference between PRP working and PRP not working. Right. You, and just like, sorry, yeah. to, sorry to interrupt. Can you explain uh, why, like, I know what you're going to like, why, why is PRP not the same versus like, if I get it done with you or I get yeah. it done with some other clinic, what, what's the major difference? So we're the only clinic in Canada that actually has a scientist that actually measures our platelet counts. So we know what we're injecting and we have like six different types of PRP depending on what, what we're trying to target. So if we're targeting a muscle, a joint, inflammation, or like a ligament or what, it depends. So we have different concoctions and, yeah. and you can ask any other doctor, well, what's your, do you have a scientist or do you measure your platelets? Nobody, no, why would I do that? They just buy, they just buy a generic centrifuge from some manufacturer, spin the blood and hope it works. And, oh, okay. um, so, and, and that comes back down to training, right? And, I, and it comes back to what we talked about earlier about regenerative medicine being exploitative. A lot of people, because it is cash pay, a lot of doctors are just trying to cash in on this growing field, but they don't actually know how to do it properly. Again, the reason I know how to do it properly is because Dr. Gallia was the one who actually pioneered, he was the first one in the world to do it. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he actually invented, now we have a second generation PRP um, that's more anti-inflammatory and it's approved by Health Canada for arthritis. So yeah. that one's specifically for arthritis and chronic inflammation. And I use, we use it for spinal conditions as well, like disc herniations and stuff like that. Um, but the point is you have to have a scientist or someone who does basic science to actually measure the platelets and to okay. have a cell counter. Okay. And in, in, in US, I think there's, I know two or three clinics that do that. And in Canada, we're the only one. So after you've, after you've taken the blood, you've spun it in the centrifuge. What happens next? How do you, how do you heal my tear? I got a tear in my pec. What do I do? Yeah. So that's, so this is where the image guidance becomes important too. So I've had a lot of patients go to other clinics and they just got, they're just like, you know, they just feel their pec and they're like, Oh, it hurts here. We'll inject some PRP in there. And <laughs> so I just want to explain why that's important. So the imaging part is ultrasound, correct? Right. Yeah. Right. So when, so I, I'm, when I'm in there, like Dr. Khan will show me the screen so I can see. And when they go over my pec with the ultrasound, I can see exactly where the tear is. That's the most important part because you have to inject the PRP right into the tear. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So pointing, so pointing at like, just pointing at an area that hurts is not. But that's what half of the sports doctors still do or rheumatoid. It's it's so like, and this problem is the standards in Canada for regenerative medicine. There are no standards. There's no regulatory body that regulates it. The college has nothing to do with it because it's it's all private. So they just don't really care. And so doctors can just pretty much do whatever they want and charge people whatever they feel like. Just so so people know why that's extremely, the imaging is extremely important is the tears sometimes can be like, like, what was my last tear? It was like, I don't know, four millimeters or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's so subtle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's such yeah. a <laughs> such a small thing, but it can be holding you back from your training. So, if you yeah, don't have an actual exactly. image showing you where that four millimeters is, it's it's yeah. kind of pointless. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I've had so many patients like that. I had just a lady last week who chronic like pain in her trap area mm-hmm. for like five six years. People just told her it's in her head, and then yeah. we found a we found a small tear, and yeah. so you know, and we got we fixed it up. So and she's going way better already. So. Yeah. It's um, imaging makes all the difference. And yeah, we do all of our injections with, so we bring you into the room and it's myself and the ultrasound tech. So again, having a good ultrasound tech also makes a difference and because they can find those tears and they know where to look um, in conjunction with the doctor. So they hold the probe and then I guide the needle directly into the tear. And um, we, um, we always do, we try to do a follow-up too, usually six weeks after to make sure that the tear is healed. So it's not like we're just saying, we're just going to do it and hope it works. We're going to yeah. have image confirmation that the tear is resolved and healed. 
How come? And, how come I don't yeah. ever come back for those? I don't. Go- <laughs> I don't know, man. You live four hours away. I don't. I don't ever come back for assume, the follow. I just assume you get. I just assume you get better. <laughs> <laughs> I never come back for the follow up. So just like, <laughs> yeah. ah, feels good. Fuck it, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so okay, so what is the 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 plasma? What does it actually do? Is it just it's healing the actual tear faster because there's more nutrients? So it's what we talked about earlier. It's about cell signaling. So okay. the plot, cause think, if you think about it, the plasma doesn't stay there very long and there's been studies, maybe it stays up to 48 hours. So it's not there for a very long period. So what it, but what it does is it sends to your tendon or to your muscle that's torn, it yeah. sends signals and the, that tendon or muscle has its own endogenous stem cells okay. that start the regenerative process. And that regenerative process is basically those growth factors. And then that causes the repair of the tendon and the muscle. Okay. So forgive me if this is repetitive, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a little slow on this one, but if it's doing the signaling, why, do, why are stem cells more powerful if they're doing the, Is it different signaling? Is no, like- exactly. Exactly. It's all about cell signaling. So that's why our second generation PRP is just as powerful as uh, stem cells for um, arthritis, because okay. we've been able to, uh, Dr. Gallio is basically in, he invented the second PRP, the cell signaling in it is much more anti-inflammatory the way he's, okay. uh, the processing that we put it through. And basically that anti-inflammatory component is what makes stem cells powerful anyway, in terms of reducing inflammation for arthritis. Okay. So, because when you're injecting stem cells, you're not, you're just, you're just cell signaling. The only way you're actually going to regenerate tissue is like having that scaffold. But is the stem, but is a stem cell more powerful in terms of signaling than PRP? It depends on what you're trying to try to do, right? Are you trying to shut off inflammation or are you trying to regrow new tissue? Those are usually the two, two, two things. And so... Okay, guys, we're back. We had a little bit of a technical error there. So, okay, so we're back into PRP. So we were saying that um, PRP is just as strong as stem cells for the new PRP is just as strong as stem cells for arthritis, but not necessarily for everything. Exactly. Yeah, because as we talked about earlier, it's about cell signaling and the new PRP in terms of cell signaling for reducing inflammation is just as good for arthritis and chronic inflammation and chronic pain. Um, So when someone goes to the States, for example, and they pay, you know, 10 to $15,000 for a stem cell treatment. It's not really a stem cell treatment. It's yeah. just an, really an anti-inflammatory treatment from the fat or the bone marrow that they're getting injected into their joint. Okay. Cause those are the two main sites that they harvest the stem cells from is bone marrow or fat. Um, but really all that's doing is reducing inflammation. Cause like, if you actually want to regrow tissue, you have, like we said, we have to have a scaffold. Yeah. Um, and you also, you actually have to also, uh, culture the stem cells to a certain number to get them um, to the right amount. So for example, in like Panama and uh, Europe, they're allowed to culture them yeah. and they can increase the number of stem cells because okay. in, in, U- in North America, you're not allowed to do that. Right. So yeah. anyone yeah. in the U S telling you, they're selling you, telling you that they're injecting stem cells is not really stem cells. Okay. Okay. So going back to PRP, you said that uh, you have to have a scientist on hand and you have to know exactly how many platelets you're injecting and, um, all these things for the regular person on the street, the regular bodybuilder on the street who wants to go heal a tear, how does he know what PRP clinic has that capability and who doesn't? Well, in Canada, it's like it's only us really. And in us, yeah. it's um, there's Regenix is pretty good. And there's one called ortho healing um, that Dr. Sampson, they're, they're like the ones who kind of organize the big conferences. So, you know, you have to basically you have to research just like, I don't, you know, a lot of people trust doctors, which is fine, but just like, if you're going to go, you know, spend money on 
um, like people research like hours before they buy a TV. Like, why wouldn't you do research before you get yeah. a procedure done? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you should research who's doing it, what their experience is. Um, you should ask them a lot of questions. Like it, it don't just to go into it, like, and just trust them blindly, you know, it's mm-hmm. not, unfortunately, especially in this, in this field, it's not, um, it's not always what you see. So before we get off of PRP, I want to ask you, I've heard stuff about PRP being used for hair regrowth and I've heard PRP being used for tears and joints. And what are all the things you can use PRP for? Can I grow my hair back with PRP? <laughs> of course. No, I no problem. No. Just a few injections. Yeah. No, seriously. <laughs> can I? Uh, it only works for thinning hair and it can increase like the density of the follicles. Okay. So if you are thinning, it yeah. can definitely help with that, but you have to do them regularly. Um, like you have to do three in a row and then you have to do them every like, at least twice a year, probably for maintenance. So it gets, it gets pretty costly and you have to keep doing it to maintain it. Yeah. Uh, but if you certainly, if you have access to that, like, yeah, it can definitely help. The thing is, it's, it's, and that's the other thing about PRP is kind of like, it's being used for literally like everything now, which almost makes it, it almost makes it seem like a scam, right? Cause it's yeah. like, yeah. and so there's, there's something called a vampire facial. They're using it for anti-aging. Okay. There's something called the, the P shot and the O shot. I don't know if you've heard of those. What's that? So, well, you can, so it's, they actually inject into the penis. That's right. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I thought or you were going there. The, yeah. Or, or into the clitoris. Okay. And uh, basically the idea is it, it, it just increases blood flow in there. So you can have uh, better erections and better. Like, All right. Well, we'll know. talk about that after I'll make an appointment. I'll make an appointment <laughs> yeah, for that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So what else, what else are you doing for bodybuilders? So when I come in, we go over all my blood work. Are you, when you look at blood work and you see certain things are off, but you know, a bodybuilder, I'll just use me as an example. You know, I'm taking testosterone or I'm taking whatever, taking growth hormone. Are you looking at those numbers knowing, okay, they're a little bit off because of this. So it's not as worrisome. Or are you still like, what do you know? Yeah. How do you tell people to back off? I guess is what I'm saying. Like, when do you tell someone to back off? Well, exactly. Yeah. Cause if you go to your average you know, doctor who doesn't know much about bodybuilding, they'll, they might freak out. They'll see liver enzymes elevated a little bit and they'll be like, Oh my God, what's happening? Your liver is damaged. You need to get an ultrasound, a biopsy and all this stuff. And you know, the the reality is, so what the way I kind of look after my, you know, pro bodybuilders and stuff is to look at, okay, is, is this condition that, or is this what they're, you know, this elevation, something that's reversible or is it irreversible? And if it's getting to that point where it's getting irreversible, um, then that's where we really need to have a conversation about backing off. So for example, with the liver, if your liver enzymes go above five times normal, then that's, that can be irreversible damage. So if you're on cycle and your livers are above five times normal, you really need to, uh, you know, talk to your doctor about getting off and safely and monitoring your liver and doing everything you can to support your liver. Um, and same thing goes for kidney. There's, you know, as your kidney function decreases, you can get to a certain level where it can, it may not be reversible. Right. And gradually kidney function can get worse. And so you have to keep monitoring that and see how far, like, and depending on genetics and stuff, um, you may have to stop someone from their, you know, from their passion, because that's just, their just body isn't meant for it. Right. Like everyone's genetically different. Right. Do you have a problem telling someone that? Do you have a problem sitting down with somebody that has a passion like like I do and saying, look, this is no longer viable for you or this has got to change or that's got to change? I mean, I've had to do it a few times. I've, had, I've actually had like, so like, you know, I treat Olympia level athletes and then like, I mean, even Jay Cutler has come to our clinic and like, you know, so with those guys, they're, they're genetically very gifted. Like they, their bodies are very resilient and they they're, they're usually fine. But yeah. I've had guys in their 20s who've done a few cycles and it's just destroyed their bodies. 
And um, even their, they, but their dream was to be a bodybuilder, right? That was like yeah. the, what they grew up dreaming about. I'm like, I'm like, sorry, man. Like, it's just, it's not in your cards, right? Like you just don't have, like genetically, even though they have a great physique, um, they're just, their kidneys are taking a beating, their liver's taking a beating and it, it's not sustainable for them because they're, they're so young now, right? So yeah. so yeah, it's nothing I enjoy doing, but I have to, you know, you have to weigh the risks and the benefits and most people are reasonable. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to put their life like on the line for it type of thing. You know, most people will stop and be under, be understanding of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, um, I know your, your specialty is regenerative medicine, but I wanted to, I wanted to talk to you about like, one of the main things I want to get into was I, I talk about my issues on this channel because I'm hoping there's young guys out there, like you said, that are 20. Cause like, for example, I'll give you this scenario. I was told to take a blood pressure medication when I was 30. But the doctor that told me that at the same time said to me, you have to stop bodybuilding. So I, connect, I, I connected the two. I thought the fact that I had to take blood pressure medication meant that I had to stop bodybuilding. So I never took the medication. I just left the office and I just buried my head in the sand. But I think that because of that situation, my kidney levels got worse because my head kind of had high blood pressure all along. Yeah. So the reason I have this channel and the reason I do these things is because I want that young guy that's 20 years old to go to the doctor and take the blood pressure medication and all that stuff. So the point I'm getting exactly, to is yeah. the point I'm getting to is this, is there a way that somebody can bodybuild as at the, at an extreme level, like trying to become a pro or anything and still be healthy? Because to me, all of the facets of bodybuilding go kind of against what is considered healthy. Like the amount of food we have to eat, the drugs we have to take, like everything that is kind of overwhelming for the body. So is there a way to do what I do and still be healthy? Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on how you define healthy, but like, for example, like, I, I mean, I treated like an Olympic gold medalist, for example, and he's only, he's only 30 and he, he sacrificed his body to win the Olympic gold medal a couple of years ago. And he, like, he has so much back pain and stuff. And so I'm doing injections for him, but so, and his quality of life kind of sucks right now. Right. And, yeah. uh, but he, but for him, it was worth it. Um, yeah. And so I think for everyone, it's going to be different in terms of what their goals are and, you know, what they're willing to sacrifice. Um, can you do it in a risk? Uh, like you said, like minimize your risk and do it in the safest way possible. Yes, you definitely can. I mm -hmm. think you can still be healthy in the sense that you can still have a good quality of life. You can still have longevity and you can still do what you love. If you have a, in, if you have intelligent programming, intelligent like periodization and, and, and same with like, you know, anabolic cycling on and off and having a good coach, I think makes all the, it makes a huge difference, mm. right? Guys, I've had some like coaches, some coaches, you know, they put them on like, like two, three grams of like tests. Like, I mean, like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? It's yeah. like, you know, and those coaches have never coached a pro in their life, right? They don't, yeah. they don't actually know how to coach people properly. They just give them more tests because yeah. they think that's what they need. And yeah. so so I, I actually, that's one of the things I always recommend. I'm like, find a good coach and like, they are few and far between. So mm -hmm. um, I think that's, that makes a big difference. And then having a doctor who's willing to monitor you and talk to you about like risk mitigation strategies, right? Like blood pressure is a huge one, but there's also so, so many supplements that have actually been shown to be effective as well. Right. Like, so, like what? Well, for liver, like Tutka, like. We oh, you mean like that? Yeah, yeah. Natural supplements. Like yeah. That. Yeah. So, yeah. So, okay. So what I. I guess the number, what would be the number one factor that would be in the most obvious answer is, would be steroids. Is steroids, the number one factor in bodybuilders becoming unhealthy. From an organ damage perspective. Yes. Yeah. Like that's what I'm about. Yeah. Of, 
kidney, heart, and liver, you're putting a lot of stress on your organs from anabolic steroids. Okay. For sure. There's no doubt about that. But does that mean you will have irreversible chronic damage? Not necessarily. And yeah. that depends on genetics and depends on how you train and how you cycle and all that stuff. Yeah. So those 20 year olds that came in that you said, you know, you kind of had to tell them to, to hang it up. Is there something they were, they were doing that was exasperating the situation or is it just strictly genetic and their body just couldn't handle what they were doing? It, it was, it was definitely, I think most of it was genetics. It's just bad. They were just weren't dealt the right cards and it really, it really played with their body. Uh, but I, there was one guy I remember who um, he wasn't, his coach was just like that coach who just put him on like way too much and yeah. way, way too soon. And just, just literally destroyed his body. And now mm -hmm. he's on, you know, we have him on TRT now and he's only like 26 and he's wow. like, and he's done, like, he's done with bodybuilding. He's like, it ruined me. Like he, he was feeling like crap for like, and, and the other problem is he couldn't get help. Like, no, like yeah. none of the doctors would help him even. And so yeah. luckily yeah. again, he found, he found me online and stuff. And like, it's just, you know, and that's the other sad yeah. part is like a lot of these guys just don't even know where to go. Yeah. Um, so if we go back to, if we take steroids as the number one culprit, um, which is the obvious answer, what is, is there a way to do it other than taking less that is going to help guys like is maybe avoiding orals or is it, is there a certain drug that's worse or is it like a certain time period that's worse? And obviously the worst case would be just taking too much, but aside from taking too much, is there a different strategy that you could use to stay healthier, I guess? Yeah, I think, I think the whole like cruise and blasting thing is not ideal for a lot of people. Like, cause then you're, you're basically always putting drugs in your body and you never really give it a chance to reset. I think yeah. it depends on like, you know, depends how, what level you're at. And some guys, you know, they, they're really afraid to like come off completely. But I think if you can give yourself a break for three, four months every year, like that's ideal okay. just to give your body, just giving your endocrine system and your organs a break essentially. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, I think that would be a good uh, risk mitigation thing. And then, um, and then, yeah. And then just coming back to like the supplements and having monitoring to see if there are any issues we should probably talk a little bit about like what tests should be done because I think a lot of people don't even know. And I'm going like, to yeah. go, I'm going to go there. I just want to ask one other question because this is just kind of always weighs heavy on my mind is, is the food factor a big factor in how healthy we are throughout our bodybuilding careers? Because I always, I always say this on the podcast and I could be totally wrong. So maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong is eating four or 5,000 calories a day for years on end. Is that contributing to, how our bodies are behaving into our thirties and forties. Uh, I mean, I don't think there's not really great research on saying that amount of calories is going to cause any end organ damage. I, I'm not aware of any, so I don't, I don't yeah. think so. It's, it's just like that myth about protein causing kidney damage. Like that's, yeah. that's just, just nonsense. And so, so there is some research on saying that if you're in a calorie deficit, um, perhaps you might live a few years longer, but yeah. um who want, no one really want, who wants to live like that. And, and that's not even, and that's, those studies are mainly done in mice. Right. So yeah. it's like, um, so I think from a quality of life perspective, um, if, you know, it adds to your quality of life to be a bodybuilder from, the, I don't think the calories and the food is really causing any damage that way. Okay. Cause um, I, cause I always thought, you know, being, just being heavy and eating a lot of food, you know, a lot of protein, a lot of fats, a lot of carbs consistently throughout the year and never really taking a break, never tapering it off. I thought that would weigh heavy on my system. If it doesn't, that's great. I just, that's always something I, 
maybe I just conjured up myself, but if you're saying, well, I think, I, I think a lot of people feel like, um, you know, it's, it's putting, you know, stress on their organs, I guess. But yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no real like data for that per se, but I think okay. from maybe more from like, uh, from other like consequences of being overweight, there may be other, you know, sequelae of that. So for yeah. example, with obesity, there's going to be thick neck and then there's going to be sleep apnea. Yeah, sleep yeah. apnea can cause high blood pressure and sleep apnea yeah. can cause increased risk of heart disease and heart attack and so on. Right. Okay. And so there's all these other, other things that can happen because of that. Okay. Okay. But, but that's just a naturally just being big and big in general. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, uh, back to the blood work, what exactly do you recommend? Like, what does somebody ask for when they go to see their doctor? And is there a way that they can, let's say their doctor doesn't know, they can't find a spot sports doctor and, and their doctor doesn't really know about those little elevations that steroids are going to cause. Is there somewhere a person can go and research like what their levels should be and what's okay and what's not okay? So first let's start, think, start with like what we, what they need to get. Yeah. So in terms of uh, what you need to get, you definitely need to get all your organs uh, in like vital organs check. So your liver, your kidney and your heart. And so that's going to include, you know, the, the EGFR, which is a kidney function and your creatinine for your kidney. Um, there's also this new one called C-statin-C. That's another good kidney marker. Uh, and then off, off your liver enzymes and then your liver function test. Uh, so those are going to cover all those. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in terms of heart testing, that's, there's obviously the ECG, which is just like an electrocardiogram, just to see if there's any heart enlargement, because that's a common thing that bodybuilders do get. And you want to make sure if that is there. Uh, but the, so, but the other thing for the heart, that's not almost, I've never seen any regular doctor do it. Cause they just don't know, um, is that you should do like a, like a stress echo every two years or so, okay. um, which is basically where you run on a treadmill and they put a, a echocardiogram yep. to see, and if there's any uh, signs of coronary artery disease, because you can get atherosclerosis and heart disease with uh, bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. Um, and then along the same lines, uh, there's something called a coronary calcium score, yep. uh, which it uses a, C, a special CT machine to check the calcium buildup in your uh, blood vessels in the heart. And that's actually been very highly correlated with your risk of heart disease, heart attack. And so that's something I, I like to do every couple of years as well mm-hmm. to uh, keep, keep an eye on for, you know, making sure this, you know, this patient doesn't have a heart attack or is increased risk of it. Um, yeah. And then identifying that early. So I think uh, those are in terms of organs. And then you, you still want to also check your blood count, um, your CBC, which is like your complete, you know, complete blood count, because you can have increased um, hemoglobin and hematocrit, which is basically the thickness of your blood. Yeah. And again, that that could be a combination of uh, anabolics, like testosterone being too high, genetics, and also some people, even if you have sleep apnea and that's not being taken care of properly, that's been shown to cause elevations in hemoglobin too. Okay. okay. So, so that's something that we see a lot, com- a lot as well in bodybuilders, and that's something. Yeah doesn't often get looked at even, or even, you know, mentioned by like a lot, again, a lot of doctors just don't know what to do with that. But, yeah. um, so how important is thyroid, um, sugar tests, like diabetes, diabetic tests? Yeah. So I was going to get into those next so, yeah. uh, hormone metabolic and hormonal testing. Okay. So that's like Sorry. The, go on. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the next component. So metabolic basically meaning, um, you're, you know, like fasting insulin, and three months blood sugar level and your fasting glucose, just to make sure if there's no abnormalities with that, especially if there's a history of the patient doing growth hormone. Yeah. Uh, because if you 
growth hormone in high doses can cause your insulin sensitivity to decrease and ca- can increase your risk of potentially getting diabetes. Okay. So that's some, and, or if, if you know, if, or if they've ever done insulin themselves too. Right. So, yeah, yeah. um, or thi- or thyroid, right. So that, and then that's where you would also check your TSH, your thyroid and your thyroid hormones, mm-hmm. um, free T3 and free T4. And then along the same lines, you want to check free testosterone, total testosterone and estrogen, um, and then also prolactin, yeah. And those are all going to give you a good picture of like the hormone profile of what's going on. Um, How important yeah. is a cholesterol test? Yeah. So that's, that's the metabolic one too. And that, that one is important, but the problem with the traditional cholesterol test is that it doesn't fractionate the cholesterol size. Yeah. So yeah. what that means is your cholesterol has different sizes of particles. So there's like small dense ones and then there's big fluffy ones and yeah. uh, based off the latest research the small dense ones the ldl small dense ones are actually more much more um arthrogenic and increased risk of heart disease whereas the big okay. fluffy ones tend not to and okay. so if you just get a traditional profile and your doctor sees your ldl is like sky high that doesn't necessarily mean on its own that you're going to have increased risk you have to look at the ratios so there's a ratio of your triglyceride to your HDL. Yeah. And then that's important. And then also your total cholesterol um, to HDL or to, yeah, total cholesterol to HDL ratio. So um, okay. you want that one to be less than four and then the triglyceride to HDL one to one about. So I think mine's a little high then. We need to work on that. <laughs> Just need um, some more fiber. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, okay. So we kind of have a gist of what people should check. Oh, and by the way, they still haven't got back to me about my cystatin C test. They always take forever. <laughs> oh, yeah. They always take forever with that test. I have no idea why. But anyway, that's for a different, different conversation. Um, okay. If somebody's got a regular doctor, like a regular family doctor that doesn't understand anything about steroids or any of that, is there a, a website or is there someone they can call or is there somewhere they can go to research what it means to have a, a liver enzyme number of 68, say? instead of a normal, which is like 50. Yeah. So, um, the best guy is definitely the anabolic doc. I'm sure you've heard of him, Dr. Thomas O'Connor. He's, he's an internal medicine doctor. So that's, you know, he, this is, and this is literally all he does. He doesn't do like regenerative medicine or injections or anything like that. He's all he does is just blood work. And, um, he's trying to publish guidelines on giving guidance to family doctors. So he's, I know he's working on a few papers, so hopefully those will be out over the next like year or two. So, but even without the papers, he has like hundreds of videos. And I think, I think any reasonable family doctor, um, especially if they would be open to taking advice from a specialist, right? He's a, he's a specialist in this area. Like they wouldn't, I can't see a family doctor just completely discounting what he's saying. Right. You know what I mean? So I think that that's the best resource to show your doctor if they're being, if you're getting a lot of uh, pushback. Okay. Um, what I wanted to get into BPC one five seven and TB 500, this stuff keeps coming up. Like, cause I have so many injuries. Yeah. I get, I get like a million messages from people who are like, why haven't you tried these peptides? They'll heal your whole body. Can we please <laughs> yeah, just, we- just like the bath and stem cells, right? Just <laughs> stem cells. <laughs> okay. So just for the record, I have tried, uh, both the PPC BPC one five seven and the TB 500. I didn't notice any miraculous healing properties but maybe i did it wrong maybe i had a bad brand i don't know but what are your thoughts on those two peptides so there's only been research done in like mice and rats in terms of like peptides so there isn't much research to go on so the next level would be kind of like you know anecdote and i can say you know i have had some of my pro bodybuilders who or pro athletes even who've 
been injured and then we did the PRP in addition to the peptide and I did see them recover faster than someone who wouldn't have done it. Um, yeah. And that same with, there's this doctor, Dr. William Seeds in the States who yeah. uses a lot of peptides in his practice with regenerative medicine. And he's kind of been finding the same stuff. And um, it's, it's interesting that way it, it may have a synergistic effect from the okay. regenerative side. Yeah. And, um, you know, Dr. Gallio, again, he, he wrote a whole book about growth hormone and he was, you know, he, he got in trouble a little bit with growth hormone and Tiger Woods and all that stuff, but yeah, yeah. he, uh, but he, uh, he's a big, he's been a big proponent of it for like decades. And like, I think I, I, I feel the same way about peptides. I think it's just, it's just early in terms of the research stage, but I think they're very promising and where they're mm -hmm. going to go. Mm -hmm. Um, but the issue is again, like what's the dose, what, like how long should you take it for yeah. Like, like it's just, there's just so many unknowns and it's just a lot of like guess guesswork. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean it can't be helpful, but at the same time, you know, I don't really like seeing people waste their money on stuff that doesn't really have that much research. So yeah. like if I'm working with a pro athlete who pretty much, you know, for them, this is their li livelihood and they're going to, you know, money isn't necessarily a huge issue for them, then sure. Go ahead. Right. Yeah. It's not going to, yeah. it's not going to do any harm and it may help you heal faster. Okay. Um, and I think that's the same thing with, it comes back to healing in general and regenerative medicine and that optimizing your hormones helps with healing. So same thing with optimizing, uh, whether that's your growth hormone and, and peptides as well, they may just optimize the regenerative process. Okay. So if you're like deficient in testosterone or you're deficient in growth hormone and you're trying to, and you have chronic pain or you have an injury that's not healing, that could be the reason why. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, does that mean, so you're saying anecdotally, you're noticing it is doing something, but there's just not any, any real papers written on it. No, not in humans, at least. I, what I feel a, like, what a, but, yeah. but also you asked about, or you said in conjunction with the PRP. So by itself, have you seen anything, any promising? I mean, most people come to me for PRP. So like I, I've, I've had patients ask, can I use it with PRP? And I've said, yes, like, go ahead. But yeah. I, I don't think I've had anyone. Uh, yeah. I've had one or two who tried it. Um, I think before they saw me and they, they didn't find it like, that's why they end up coming see me. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. yeah. Like it didn't, it didn't fix, fix your injury. So then they, like I had, I had, I've had like maybe uh, a half a dozen who have at least used it on their own. And I can think of one other who she found it reduced her pain, like for chronic arthritis by like okay. she was, she was using TB 500 and BPC 157 and it helped like reduce her pain like 30, 40% okay. after like 46 weeks. So um, so mixed results. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, before we go, I wanted to get into gut health because it seems to be a very popular topic. And I think bodybuilders struggle with gut health a lot. There's a lot of misinformation about there and people are just taking probiotics at random. I, yeah. I just, is there, is there something you see consistently that people are doing wrong with their gut health and why guys are always coming in with gut issues? Well, yeah. So the guts, we know is very important. So there's something called the gut brain access. So your gut actually does communicate with your brain. So it plays a role, not only in digestion, we know it plays a role in mood and also immunity, 70% of your immune systems in your gut, essentially, like in your small intestine. So um, it's, it's, it's pivotal, pivotally important for like, like health and immune system and longevity. Yeah. And the biggest issue is kind of, it's back to almost, it's the same principle as like with the regenerative medicine. It's like, there's no standardization. Okay. So it's like, basically like you take a probiotic, but what's the cell count? What's the what, like colony formation unit, like CFU, CFU count and what are the different strains and which strains are the best formulations. Yeah. And we're getting much better at knowing which strains to combine for specific ailments. Okay. So, 
But in general, for like general gut health, like you, what I usually recommend is a soil, uh, like a SBO, soil bacterial organism, um, combined with um, like the usual like probiotics. So like a, one that has like lactobacillus and saccharomyces, which is a type of yeast. So, so sorry. So yeah, there's basically three that you want is the SBO plus like a, the regular probiotic plus a yeast. And that will give you a general probiotic. There, there's unfortunately, there's no formulation that has all three in them, but there are some, so usually you have to take two probiotics together to get that. Okay. So one second here, I'm trying to understand this is the SBO. That's a form of probiotic. Yeah. Okay. So that's one. And then you combine that with what is the second probiotic I combine it with? That, that's just like a regular probiotic that has like lactobacillus and bi, like bifidobacteria. See, this is the confusing types. part. When you say regular probiotic, when I go to the nutrition store, the grocery store, yeah, there's a, so many. Quali- exactly. So the quality ones that you want, um, I mean, th- that's the problem. Like almost none of them are really good over, you want, you want one that's actually like in a blister pack. Okay. So it doesn't lose this um, quality or degrade. Re- refrigerated also, right? or no uh that doesn't actually necessarily matter it, oh, okay. the, the blister pack is actually more important for um in terms of uh, shelf life and stuff is there a brand so, is there a brand that you can recommend yeah there's one called zymogen um x-y-m-o-g-e-n and then soil ba- the soil based one you can pretty much get any soil based one and same with um, saccharomyces boulardii that's just like its own yeast strain and that one you can get like it comes on wait, its own wait a minute you lost me there so Soil base combined with the regular one, the Zymogen. Yes, plus then, a yeast. Plus which a yeast is a, Which is the Saccharomyces, yeah. Jeez, okay. So so that so that so that's the only way to actually have a proper, uh, like, comprehensive probiotic protocol. Um, mm-hmm. And the I would recommend if people actually want to do, like, a proper protocol, there's a book called Healthy Gut, Healthy You okay. um, by Dr. Michael Ruscio. And he, he's, he's, like you know, he's pretty much the best guy when it comes to this stuff. And I've, uh, I've read his books and listened to a lot of his stuff. And so that's why I have a pretty good knowledge base of it. But, um, but the idea is like, you can't, you can't just heal your gut with probiotics because that's one part of it, but there's so much more that goes into gut health. So for example, stress, sugar, not sleeping properly, that's all gonna, we all know that disturbs your gut health. So this is one of of the things that drives, drives me crazy is, somebody will go get all three of these probiotics and they'll take them all, but then they're yeah. eating like a bag of chips afterwards. Exactly. 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 <laughs> so, so basically what you're saying is if your diet's not on point or you're not eating yeah. clean, clean, unprocessed foods, this concoction is not going to help you anyways. Yeah, exactly. It comes back to like the principles, right? The, what are the first principles and what are the most important principles? And that comes back to lifestyle, which is, you know, where we diet, nutrition, exercise, um, sleep and stress and everything. So, um, but in addition to that, there are other things like, um, digestive enzymes that can help as well for gut health because a lot of people have those type of issues. Yeah. Before you go there, when, when do I take, I know you said to get this book, but just briefly, when do I take this concoction, this combination of probiotics? When do I take these? Um, the best time is usually, uh, from the latest research is take it at nighttime, like before bed. Okay. Now, before we move on to digestive enzymes, what about prebiotics? Cause I've talked to a holistic doctor who was like, your probiotics don't do anything without prebiotics. So where, then I lost me. I'm like, okay, now I need more stuff. So <laughs> yeah, no, if- prebiotics, prebiotics is just essentially, um, uh, fiber, right? 
Okay. So as long as you're getting enough through your diet, usually you don't have to get a formulation that has a prebiotic in it. Okay. Now right. there, there are, um, there are prebiotic and probiotic formulations that come yeah. with both of them together. Okay. But if you, if you, again, if you have a good diet with lots of fiber, which you should, yeah. then I don't, I don't think you necessarily have to take an additional pill for that. Okay. So now, sorry, going back to digestive enzymes, is that something you recommend? And the one I have, it says I have to take with every meal. Is that pretty much how it works? Yeah. You have to take with every meal. Yeah. I think okay. if you're, if you're doing a gut healing protocol, that's usually like, like that's usually step one is to try a digestive enzyme with the probiotic and then, okay. um, you know, see how that goes for a couple months type of thing. So someone asked me once, why do I need a digestive enzyme if my body has its own enzymes? They don't always, it's, it's, it's like, you know, your body has its own healing processes for tears, but why doesn't it heal? It's just like, they don't so always work the so, way they should, you know? So you're helping it pretty much is what you're saying. But exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So this is something people watch the channel know I love to eat. So when I have a cheat meal, that's like gross. And I ate a whole bunch of like binged out on a Saturday night. How bad is that ruining my gut health? And for how long? What's your cheat meal? That's bad, dude. Like we're talking like 30 bucks at McDonald's or something. <laughs> this is something, <laughs> something, something gross, like a large, a large, a large pizza or something like that. I don't know, but like, I don't, I don't listen when I'm on, when I'm on point, I try not to eat too often, but when I do, yeah. when I do eat, it's like a Saturday night. I'll, I'll have whatever I want pretty much. So yeah, if, right, yeah. If somebody does, we'll use two scenarios. <clears throat> if somebody has, let's just say somebody goes to five guys, they have a burger and fries and a, and a drink and that's their, that's their cheat meal. What is that going to do versus let's say me who sits down and eats like 30 bucks at McDonald's and has the McFlurry and a Big Mac and the whole everything on the menu how bad obviously i know which one's worse but in terms of gut health how long is it going to take me to recover from that and be okay so they're temporary so those those fluctuations and the the medical term is called gut dysbiosis which is yes. basically an imbalance between the good bacteria and the bad bacteria and so when you eat those type of foods it causes a temporary disturb like temporary basically um, fluctuation in the balance and, and, but that usually it's, it's transient. So it usually is like 24 hours, but okay. it's the problem is people do that chronically. Right. And yeah. so yeah. if you're doing that on a daily basis, right. Yeah. And that's what the average person, that's what they do. Right. They, they eat like, they don't eat very healthy and they, they're stressed all the time. They don't sleep enough. They eat a lot of processed refined foods. That's just the average person. Right. And unfortunately it's just a state where it, that's just how people live their life. Not, not like bodybuilders, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. And so, and so what's going to happen to your gut over time? Um, it's just going to add up. And that's, that's how most chronic diseases, like we talk, you know, is, is chronic inflammation and chronic is chronic lifestyle stuff that leads to most diseases. So going back to that holistic doctor I was talking to, they told me that that one cheat meal can affect my stomach for two weeks. Is that nonsense? <laughs> well, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't tell him you said, don't worry. It's just between yeah. us. Nobody's watching. Don't worry about it. Yeah, no, I know. I, I doc, again, Dr. Rusho is my go-to source for gut health. And he, yeah, he's, he's had podcasts on this and he said 24 hours for like meals is going to be a temporary, usually disturbance okay. in the gut. Okay. Um, going to, um, well, you were saying, we're saying the bad bacteria owing the good bacteria. If I'm eating a bodybuilding diet, let's say I don't cheat. Let's say I'm, I'm a, I'm a strict bodybuilder. I eat all unprocessed single ingredient foods. Sometimes they still have like bad gut issues. So how does that develop if you're eating, you know, clean whole foods, 
not processed, not garbage, not high sugar foods. You can you still develop a bad bad gut bacteria? Well, because you're not getting enough probiotics in your diet, probably, right? Okay. Unless you're eating a lot of fermented vegetables and yogurt and like kimchi and you know yeah. kefir okay. and stuff like that, then you're just not going to get enough to balance it, right? Yeah. And it's just unfortunately our diets have kind of strayed from that, you know, uh, evolutionary kind of what we're designed for. So yeah. that's that's what kind of leads to it over time. Um, so even though you're eating a healthy diet, relatively speaking, um, a, a more better diet for our bodies, you, you do, it is good to have some fermented, I try, like, personally, I try to eat fermented vegetables every day. Yeah. Um, don't always do it because it, <laughs> but you know. That's... So are we, so it's basically the equation, just balancing out the good and bad bacteria. Like, it's not about, it's not necessarily about, like, you can have some things that aren't good as long as you're having enough good bacteria. Is that what you're saying? Or am I off on that? What, what do you mean? I'm saying like, you're basically, what I'm understanding is basically the way your stomach uh, behaves is based on how much good bacteria versus bad bacteria you have in your body. Yeah. So as long as we're putting enough, enough good bacteria in, are we okay having some bad food to, from time to time? Yeah. Like again, it, it all comes back to dosage and chronicity of what you're doing. So if you're having like a cheat meal once a week, but the rest of the time you're having like a lot of fiber, you're having probiotics regularly in your diet, mainly processed foods, um, there's you're like there's no reason why you should develop gut issues. Is there but, any is there any amount of probiotics that will counteract thirty dollars worth of McDonald's? <laughs> that's okay. That's a question. That's <laughs> we should do just, a study on that. I'm just wondering. I don't. Just, <laughs> we'll take we'll take your we'll take a sample yeah. of your a asking for a yeah. asking for a friend. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, before you go, Doc, is there is there a topic that you want to cover that we didn't cover? Um, that's important to you or is there anything you want to kind of let people know um, that can keep them healthier that just kind of a, a general statement is there anything you want to go over um, I think just on the gut health thing one other thing I was going to say is there's just in terms of uh, supplements there's one from um, it's called FMF uh, functional medicine formulations okay and they actually they have like um, they, they have a product that you can use in conjunction with the probiotics and the digestive enzyme that I was talking about. So I think those three, if you want a gut protocol, those would be the three I would start with. And that's what he, I just saved them. I just saved people from reading the book, but basically healthy yeah. gut, healthy you. That's, that's essentially what he recommends as the first step for most people. What is, what is, so we have the three, the combination of the three probiotics. We have the digestive enzymes. What is the FMF? So it's a, it's a formulation of basically like the, uh, well, a little bit of prebiotics, um, but also like it has like um, uh, like licorice in there and um, a few other things just for gut health in general, like to help with okay. the gut lining and the intestines. Because okay. um, like, for example, licorice has been shown to help with like, it's, it, it works similar to like proton pump inhibitors and that it actually helps regenerate some of the lining that might be damaged in the stomach. So okay. it just has, it just has essentially other, like, you know, kind of like liver support supplements. It's almost mm -hmm. like a GI support because you can bet that way. Okay. So if somebody does this protocol and they're eating, let's say their diet is pretty good. How long do they have to wait before they can see some significant changes in their gut health and how their body's digesting? Food? Usually 30 days minimum, but I would say give it three months. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. anything else you want to go over doc? No, I mean, I think we covered a good amount of stuff good and hopefully stuff. it was helpful to people. Yeah. The one thing I want to ask you before we go is, are you open for new patients? Cause I'm sure there's a lot of people in the GTA that are probably <laughs> going to contact you after this. Um, or are you full? 
Uh, unfortunately, I'm not taking new patients for, um, you know, blood work and stuff. Cause I am full with that. Like I have a lot of, you know, I have a lot of pro guys like you guys and, uh, yeah. I just can't, I just can't manage with all the new patients I get for injections and stuff. So, but I am taking patients for injuries and pain and like anything related to that. Um, so when you so, said before you go on, so that's muscle tendon tears, joint issues. Yeah. Uh, what about just, just about, what about a lot of people message me with tendonitis? Like what if, yeah. Yeah. So PRP is good for tendonitis in your elbows, your knees, whatever it'll help. Yeah, that exactly. Too. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So you're open for patients for anything, any of those kind of treatments. Yeah. Cause those ones, usually you just have to kind of see me, you know, once or twice, we fix it up and you're good to go. You know what I mean? We could do with a good therapist and you usually don't have to see me again, but the blood work stuff, you need ongoing monitoring and yeah. that I'm kind of, you know, I'm just kind of full for that. I just, unfortunately just can't, you just only so many I can take. <laughs> Is there a coupon code that I can give people that I will get a kickback on? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't worry about it. No, listen, yeah. without without being without being a smart ass, uh Dr. Khan has you've probably helped me with I don't know, four or five, six tears by now. And I will attest to anybody listening that I remember there's one specific tear I had in uh my shoulder. I don't remember the exact muscle, but it was in the front my front delt area. I think I waited like three or four months and I didn't train chest and I tried to like see if it would just heal on its own. And mm. it just, nothing was, it just, I couldn't even pick up my gym bag. It was bothering me so much. And I swear to God, we did a PRP shot and it couldn't have been four or five weeks later. And I was back to benching three, four plates. I felt good. Like I, I can, I can attest to the PRP shots 100% on and how, how, how well they work and how quickly, especially for tendonitis too. I remember my knees were really bad and I, I got PRP on my knees. That wasn't you as a doctor before you, but uh, I remember how much that helped. So um, anybody listening, I guess if you're open for that, they should definitely give you a call. And um, yeah, can, there's no reason to before, live in pain before, or injuries. Now. Before we go, I want to just quickly show everybody that you also practice what you preach. So this is Dr. Khan's Instagram page. Oh, yeah. follow, <laughs> follow him, Dr. A. Khan. You can show me deadlifting 550. I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to show. <laughs> is it just, wait a, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this just a photo? No, there's a video if you go down. I just posted that, but. Okay, I was going to say, I was going to say, if there's no video, it doesn't count. You can't just load up the weight. No, no, there's a video. Okay, where is it? Uh, there's me and you. Okay, there, cool. there, down there. This, it's coming oh, there down. it is. There, right, right there. Let's, hard work, hard work. Okay, let's see. That's 550. 555 trap bar that's pretty good man you're gonna get you're gonna get flamed for your form though your back looks too, too rough people are gonna well, freak I was out working out, i was working out with jordan shallows the muscle oh. box so you can <laughs> you can, you can let it you can tick it up with him <laughs> <laughs> throw him under the bus so you do a little bit of powerlifting for fun right yeah i just i just enjoy it. i'm a meathead i think that's doing 115s or 120 or something so what are these but, 120s yeah that's good though, man. I mean, this is your, it's like a hobby for you. You're not like, uh, yeah. And I, I'm proud of it. Cause I mean, I'm natural and I love, I just love doing it. And for me, it's a stress relief. And I, I, I think I get a lot of, you know, people, uh, like younger people who follow me and med students and, you know, people who want to be doctors who like, like the idea of what I'm doing. And I just love sharing that and I love helping other people. So it's great. One of the reasons I like coming to see you is, because you like to lift weights, I feel like you kind of know what I'm going through. Yeah. You know, I know you're not a pro and you don't do it at my level, but regardless, people who work out at least know kind of what they're, you know, you know what they're feeling, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah. Some bros getting in there. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was a what, 135. It was hard. That was hard. 
without I don't I don't use a I don't use a rope or not rope. Uh, I think I remember seeing I remember seeing you once you're squatting somewhere. I can't find it, but anyway. Oh yeah. You guys can go. You guys can go on Dr. Khan's page. Give him a follow. You can DM him there, and uh... yeah, my email's on there too. I'm very accessible by email. DMs, as you know, Fuad, you don't always check them, right? Sometimes they just get missed. That's true. And That's uh, true. but email, email, I'm I pretty much always respond to. Okay, so there you go. So people can contact you that way, Doctor. I appreciate you taking the time, man. I hope people got some good information today, and um, you know, maybe we'll round up some more questions, and I'll have you on again some other time. Yeah, we could always do like a, I like the AMA, ask me anything idea. We could always do that. That'd be fun. Maybe we'll do a live one and people can, yeah, yeah but people get nasty. They get some really weird, weird <laughs> questions on my channel. So I don't know. <laughs> maybe we'll I'll, see. I'll screen them all first. You have to filter a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Listen, thank you so much for the time and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. All right, brother.